0: From their padded cell in Indianapolis, Indiana, this is The Spiel, Episode 16, In the Cards.
1: back again for another episode of The Spiel. Hello and welcome. My name is Stephen Conway. And I'm David Colson. And this is
0: a show about games and the people who love them. Welcome to The Spiel. Welcome everybody. <laughs> I think we got some good stuff in this episode. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're kind of going away from the board games for uh, for an episode. We're doing a couple card games and I think they're they're gonna surprise some people let's let's put it that way they're gonna be games <laughs> that a lot of people they're not on people's radars I think exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i think uh without further ado, let's just jump right in Here we go game news and notes.
1: Okay, first up on news and notes are a couple things we've hit in the past, but I just want to kind of bring them back to your attention and let everybody know some new stuff that we <laughs> found a out. A recap. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. A recap. <laughs> uh The first one is a little some more stuff about Battle Lore, that awesome-looking fantasy war game coming out from Days of Wonder. I just got a hold of the first promo- promotional figure. It's a hill giant. That's awesome. And it is Really cool. <laughs> it comes with, like, three cards, kind of giving you all the stats and everything. And there's a terrain piece. It's kind of like his den, the lair where, you know, he's going to come from. That's awesome. Um, and he's one of the um, the um standard bearers. So it comes with, you know, that guy, and the stickers are already on him. And it also comes with, like, a really cool six-page full-color layout kind of describing the whole game. It's called The Primer. I oh, that's you online. It, yeah, it's online on their website. You can website, read it online, yeah. but this is actual a physical and it's it's just really cool. So look at your local. What's hobby store. the quality of the miniatures? I mean, is it high quality, middle, uh, the, or the, the plastic is a softer plastic? You know, not quite like the plastic uh, that we're used to with the miniatures. So I'm not sure. You know, how easy it's going to be paintable, but um, detail wise, it looks really good. You know, it's not as good as some of the stuff we've seen, but it's certainly not as bad as a lot of stuff that
0: we've. So is it is it like comparable to like those uh, shadows over Camelot? Those
1: very very similar. Okay, because since Days of Wonder too, exactly. It's the same plastic. It's the same style. It's very similar to the rest of Days of Wonder stuff. This particular hill giant is is you know larger than any other Days of Wonder stuff. It's you know good three inches or something. Wow, that's awesome. (laughs) But it looks cool. So check out your local game store or hobby store. And only available brick and mortar game stores. too. and you can't get those online. You know, only if you pre-order your things. And so I know that I've got mine, so they're out there. (laughs) And it looks cool. I'm stoked for this guy to come out. (laughs) And then the other little um, piece of news that I want to bring. I know that we have mentioned tanga.com in multiple episodes, just kind of making fun of the puzzles that are killing us (laughs) here and there. But I figure we need to let everybody know exactly what tanga.com is. Absolutely, yeah. And it is a website that has one product for sale. Every 24 hour period. So every day they sell one thing. And they have been selling board games and little electronic gadgety type of things. Sort of things for geek with Ge- the geek in mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, um, I've mostly, obviously, we've been stoked about the games, but they have had some cool gadgety type of things sure, too. Sure, sure. Um, and I know in the last couple of weeks you and I have each made yes. a, ta- a tank of purchase. Mm-hmm. In fact, they, I just got mine today. <laughs> ah, yeah, they had, um, they, the first board game they started off with was Alhambra classic awesome, awesome game. game yes. They followed up with Industria, which is a Queen's game, and then I know you just bought a copy of Oasis. Oasis, yeah, which for was $7, a, yeah. 7.99. They were all these games for only $7.99 plus $6 shipping. That's 14 bucks. The cost on these games is $35 Four, to 40, $45, yeah. Dollars, yeah, which means you're you're at cost, you're almost under cost on these games. Yeah. Um, they have had some other games that I wouldn't <laughs> buy, yeah. <laughs> but but um just wanted to let everybody know this is some place the, the new item comes online every night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, so like, for us here in Indiana, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Right. But um, check it out. It'll take you three seconds. Go to tanga.com. Go, oh, that's not something I'm interested in. Or, wow, awesome, 8 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Plus,
0: you got the puzzle thing, like like we've mentioned before. You, they have a daily puzzle that you right. accumulate Tanga
1: points, which they're a little vague on what yeah, those points. They say sometime do. in the f- future <laughs> they're going to be good for promotional items. Yeah, <laughs> all I know is if the promotional item is like the the sports voodoo thing. Yeah, yeah sports that was voodoo lame. doll kit, I'm like That's what the hell <laughs> is that? <laughs> but check it out because in the past they've had games that are worthy. So I'm going to hope that in the future they're going to have some worthy games at. Awesome price. Yeah, for for the 2 seconds it takes yeah, to they to FedEx stuff there took like 10 days tops, you know, between 7-10 days. Came in great shape minded. So Yeah, mine too. Awesome. Definitely recommend it. Well, along those
0: same lines, I have one recap and then and then a new item of ah, note. Cool. So my recap is just a little update on the perplex city. Uh, oh, god! <laughs> so I'm already over a hundred points of cards Woo-hoo! solved. Woo! But and I I say it's official that I'm hooked, and I'm sure Dave's going to be hooked because I'm giving him all the cards that I can't figure out, and so he's going to get turned loose on those because he's as he's probably a better puzzle master oh, no. than than I am. <laughs> But just to let, if anybody out there is on Perplex City, our uh, username for The Spiel is, <laughs> quite dumbly, The, the Spiel. Spiel. <laughs> <laughs> so, because there's a whole uh, user sort of interaction part where you can, you know, see what cards other people have solved and ask for hints and things. So if anybody wants to look us up on Perplex City, we're there under The Spiel. Feel free to stop by and say hello. And cool. and I'm looking forward to Dave increasing our point total. We're already up, actually. There's there's I mean, thousands and thousands of people, and just by getting up into like the high hundreds in points, I'm already up to like ten thousandth place
1: out of like sixty thousand people. So I was like, "Woo!" (laughs) So we're gonna strive for nine thousandth place. Yes, (laughs) within the next month or two.
0: (laughs) That's all on you, man. (laughs) (laughs) So my my item of note is another website that I think people should check out, and you can find it. It's a British website called um, Occasional Gamer. .co.uk. Um, it's a really cool site, especially if you're a fan of the Games Workshop Classic uh, Talisman Ooh, game. Yeah. So it's a great way to get your Talisman fix, even if you don't have enough players at home to play, or if everybody rolls their eyes and goes, God, not Talisman! Because <laughs> no. <laughs> we know a few people like that too. Um, this website offers a free online version of the Games Workshop Classic fantasy board game Talisman. Uh Simply register for an account on the site, and you can set up your own private game for friends of your own, or you can join open games at any time. If everybody's online at the same time, you could play through a whole game in one sitting. If players are on at different times, each player can take their turn on their own and wait for the next person to play. So it's kind of almost a ah, play-by-email yeah, system exactly. where you could just play a turn of Talisman a day, which, I mean, it's going to take forever to play, but <laughs> exactly. hey, it's still kind of cool to get to play that way, Um, I think the programmers have done an awesome job of implementing all the various rules and expansions of third edition Talisman. Um, The only thing that could possibly make it better, in my opinion, is if it was (laughs) second edition rules and it's many expansions instead, but I'm perfectly willing to admit that's just personal preference. I think that the second edition rules are just better and there's a lot more expansions to it. Yeah, I Um, I think you're right. They absolutely are. Um, and just to let everybody know, I've actually started on occasionalgamer.co.uk. I've started a private game for Spiel listeners. Um, uh. so anybody out there is welcome to join, um, and play with us. It's only a four player game right now. So Dave, you gotta sign up and, and get on <laughs> here so we can do the, you know, a turn a day or whatever. Um, the password for the game is The Spiel, all one word smushed together. Um, but so I'm looking forward to be a nice way to get to game with some of you out there. Yes. Granted, it may be kind of a slow process, but heck, I figured why not try it. Uh, I think it looks great. I'm actually in a couple open games just to see how just kind it worked, worse. and it it feels like playing Talisman. Oh, I mean, that's cool. I can just—I'd
1: be happy just getting a bag of gold today. I just...
0: <laughs> in fact, that was my turn today. That actually. was your turn today. Yeah, bag I got a gold. bag of gold. I'm a ranger, <laughs> and I got a bag of
1: gold. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I would
0: definitely check out uh, occasionalgamer.co.uk. Sweet the list over a decade ago we took up the challenge of playing every unplayed game in our collection each week on the spiel we play one or two games off our unplayed list the list started over 100 and has been as low as 30 but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end after all life would be awfully boring without new games to play let's see which games get crossed off the list so this episode on the list, we're going to take a little uh, journey into the past with card games and then a journey pretty quickly into the present <laughs> um, to show uh, some interesting parallels between old, old card games and how just by like tweaking little things you can make old card games new. So cool. the first game on the list um, that we played this week is Scopa. Uh, it was uh, invented around 1600. So we're talking, <laughs> it's been around for a little while We've <laughs> been around
1: the block a couple times.
0: <laughs> Two to six players generally will play. Decks are available um, online for about $4. Four we'll, bucks. We'll get to that in a minute, because you don't have to play with a specialized deck, but it, there's definitely, I think, oh. a coolness oh, factor. Yeah. And especially for $4, you can't pass up getting a regular uh, Scopa deck and, and using that instead of just a regular deck right. of cards. Um, unfortunately, we don't know who designed it, obviously, because it's... 400 years okay, old, and no one has, <laughs> has stepped up to claim Scopa. <laughs> so here's a little bit about the game before we get into our discussion. Scopa is a traditional Italian card game played in regions of Italy for over 400 years. It gave rise to a whole family of games, including Scopone, Scopetta, and Scopone Scientifico. Wow. <laughs> the game is played with a 40-card Italian deck, similar to a conventional deck of cards, but minus the 8s, 9s, and 10s. Four-player games are usually played in partnership, while other number of players will typically play for themselves. The name Scopa means sweep, or broom in Italian, and refers to the action of picking up all the face cards on the table, um, and you get an extra point for that, which we'll get to the scoring here in a minute. Um, in some ways, Scopa can be thought of as a precursor to many popular modern game designs. The multiple competing goals and the limited hand size make for a very modern-feeling game, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Um, In Scopa, four cards are turned face-up on the table, and players are dealt hands of three cards. On your turn, you may capture any of the face-up cards on the table if the sum of the cards that you capture equals the value of the card that you played. So in other words, you could play a five from your hand and capture a two and a three. The only wrinkle is if there's a single card on the table that's an exact match you must take that matching single card. So if you play a five, you have to take the five using our previous example. Captured cards are set aside into a common pile except for any scopas, which are kept separately until scoring begins. And again, scopa is where if that two and the three were the only cards left face up and you played the five and you're sweeping the table clean, that's a scopa and you set those cards aside because you're going to get a bonus point for those. If, if however, you can't make a capture... Then you must play one of your three cards face up to the middle, making it fair game for the next person to use in one of their captures. When your initial hand of three cards has been exhausted, a new set of three cards is dealt out, and this process continues until the the deck is exhausted and that begins a scoring round. So that's this is where it gets kind of interesting. The scoring exactly. is, is wacky. Yeah. Scopas are scored first, and that's easy. You get one point per scopa. So for each of the times you sweep it free, it's not going to happen that often in our experience. But it it does happen, and and that's a nice bonus. If you can can get it, that can turn the tide in your favor. Once your scopas are scored, you add all those cards from your scopas into your main capture pile. The player with the most total cards captures gets one point. The player with the most cards of the coin suit gets one point. The player who captures the seven of coins gets one point. And lastly, a player forms his or her best Primera, or Prime, to score one additional point. (laughs) This is the (laughs) really wacky, (laughs) wacky part. So each card in the deck is assigned a numeric value for the scoring purposes of the Primera alone. Uh, You pick the highest value card from each suit that you've captured, and you add up the total to arrive at the value of your Primera. The weird thing is that the highest value card in the deck is not what you would assume, either the ace or the king. Right. It's the seven of each suit. The, the six is the second highest. The ace is the third highest. And weird, weirdest of all, all the face cards are the lowest value right. for the scoring purposes of the Primera. So everybody does this little adding up and figuring out what the value of their Primera is. The person who has the highest Primera value gets a point. Uh, games are generally played either the best to 11, the first to 11 or the first to 21 wins the game. That's basic. I know that that's kind of a, a sprint through the rules there, but I think it's actually pretty simple. And I hope people kind of catch on because I don't think it's that complicated. The scoring is a little weird, but, but I think this game is just a, a hidden classic. And I don't think there are a lot of people out
1: there that really know about this game and they really, really should. Yeah, I was completely blown away by this game when we played it because I hadn't played it before. And it just, I was like, well, all you have to do is match a card. It seems like a little kid's game or something. You're just playing a card out and matching it. And after a couple rounds, you realize all the strategy and card counting and everything that's involved in this. And just like you said, the scopas didn't happen very well, very often with us. And you can see you start, your strategy starts being based on the fact that you don't want to set your opponent up right. to be able to get a scopa. Mhm. And it's it's just much deeper than I had originally thought it was going to be. It's really cool because of all the different ways of scoring, you know, that you can
0: because the person who gets the most total cards is going to get a point or the person with the most coins, you may be forced into a situation where you don't have a capture, but you certainly don't want to put a coin out there because oh, yeah. that gives your opponent the ability to capture a coin, or you don't want to put a seven out there because the seven is the highest value of the Primera. Exactly. There are all these little combinations that start coming up to you that on the surface you wouldn't think – the game is has that kind of level of depth to it, but it really,
1: really does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And then having an actual scope of deck, yes, yes. goes a huge long way towards just making the game feel special. Mm-hmm. You know, the card, What are the three face cards called? So you have the, the king, the prince, and the. Duke
0: or the Baron, I've that, seen it. Right. I've seen it either way. On depending upon the scope of deck that you get, the scope of cards to describe them. Since I didn't really describe right, them, the different suits, are- they're they're thinner width. They're sort of almost like a tarot card. Yeah, width. absolutely. Um, so they're more rectangular, like a sort of slimmer rectangle than a normal deck of cards, and um, they're recognizable with the ones through. Sevens in the yep. suits, but if you looked at an old tarot deck or whatever, you know, the clubs are actually clubs. So it's a guy holding a cudgel <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> or a club. <laughs> and you've got coins. So it's not spades, hearts, clubs, and diamonds. It's coins, cups, swords, uh, swords and uh, clubs, clubs <laughs> uh, are the four suits. Um, and the illustrations are always really interesting. Yeah. Um, and the face cards, you don't have King, Queen, Jack. You have King, Prince, Baron, with the barons all or dukes always being on the, horseback. Horse, right. And then the princes kind of, they they usually
1: look prince Yeah, and the, the kings have crowns. And, and the kings
0: always have right. crowns, so they're pretty easy and to tell And the ones apart. of each
1: suit are kind of a special card, like in Mahjong almost. You know? Yes. It's the unique card itself. <laughs> the one of coins was a bird. Yeah,
0: it's always a bird, apparently. All, yeah, <laughs> so that...
1: that Really cool,
0: and they're apparently we've got a, several decks of the Scopa of cards, and they're even like little weird illustrations yeah. hidden on the cards that seem to have some sort of yeah. I bet you that there has back to be too. some connection or yeah. some parallel because they they seem to match up with certain card sets having similar you know little right. illustrations that have nothing to do like with the, the actual little, suits. little
1: picture of a boat that was on one yeah or a yeah. fish or, a or something fish, like that. Right. that it's like,
2: Really
0: cool. Our guess was that you know this this game feels like sort of the Italian version of euchre, right? In a way, you know, it has that kind of house rules. You're even playing with a pared down deck, sort of like euchre. But yeah. you can even see those cards with a little fish on it. each one of those, having like a little nickname in Italian that's that everybody exactly, you know in a certain area plays. And oh, that's the
1: <laughs> that's the killer fish card or whatever. Exactly, just like in euchre, where we call a card a bower. I bet you the cards have nicknames. You know, and just over time, those nicknames have stuck so much. Now they've got little icons. Oh no, (laughs) he's not playing the fish card. Yeah, can't play the fish
0: card with that. (laughs) (laughs) So if anybody knows the the story behind that, because in doing the little research, I couldn't find anything Uh, that made mention of those. Certainly, uh, write in and tell us because we would definitely love love to know. (laughs) But it's a it's a hidden classic, and I think it totally is true that you can see modern. You know, we tend to think of all these sort of modern games as as not having. Precursors or predecessors, but it's so easy to see so many different mechanics kind of deriving from uh, Scopa. I think that from that aspect, (laughs) if you're interested in the history of games, it's definitely worth uh, playing for that reason alone. Especially
1: if you can find a deck for $4. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a no
0: brainer. I mean, sure, you could take your sevens or eights, nines, and tens out and play with a normal deck, which is cool, but for $4, I mean, literally, I'll put the link in the show notes, $4 plus shipping. To get a real live Scopa deck, that's that's an awesome well deal. Well worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely encourage you to to look up Scopa. That's the first game off the list.
1: Cool. Okay, that brings us up to the second game off the list. It's a game called Parlay. It was designed by Paul and Jennifer Sturgis. It was published in 2005 by Real Deal Games. It's for two to six players, ages nine and up. It lists for fourteen dollars, but you can find it online for $13. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Yeah, so not not a lot of bargains out there, but trust me, $13 or $14 for this game, well worth it. Don't worry about trying to find this, you know, being upset that you can't get a deal on it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, if you've listened to um, episode 10 or 11 of The Spiel, <laughs> you might remember that Parlay was one of the games that we picked up at Gen Con this year. I think Steven and I both did kind of a double take as we were walking past their booth, mm-hmm. and the actual designers of the game were manning the booth, And they were trying to get everybody's attention by, hey, come and try our game. It's a common card game, combination of Scrabble and Poker. We were both, what? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Needless to say, I don't even think they got 30 seconds into the spiel. And they were like, we'll take one of those. (laughs) Anything that's got Scrabble and Poker, way cool. So tonight we actually get to finally put this bad boy to the test. So we'll get to see what it does. Parlay comes with 52 cards. It's basically just a standard Poker deck. There are a few exceptions. In addition to suit and rank, each card also has a letter and a value, a letter value on it. Uh, A complete game of parlay is played over several hands until one player reaches 500. Each hand, you're basically trying to build a winning poker hand and the highest scoring word that you can build. Um, Both the word and the poker hand don't have to have all cards in common. So, out of the eventual seven cards you're going to end up with in the version that we played, you know, five cards can be your poker hand and then five different cards or maybe some cards sharing, you know, those five cards. It's kind of wacky. Takes like a couple hands to kind of get that, your brain wrapped around there, but it's really neat. Uh, in the parlay rules, they give you all kinds of really cool ways to actually play the game. So tonight we actually decided we chose the Texas Hold'em version. <laughs> we had to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'll kind of give you a quick overview of the hand, and then we'll get into discussing the game. Um, there's several steps in the hand, and they go by real quick. Um, the very first thing, since we chose the Texas Hold'em version, each person is dealt two cards. Before anything else happens, we have an opportunity to exchange one of our two cards with a card from the top of the deck. Once that's done, then we actually turn three cards face up to the center of the table, which in poker terms is commonly known as the flop. flop yep. um, after we see those three cards, then once again you're given an option to exchange one card of your two cards in your hand again. Once you do that, then we go back to flipping over a fourth card, which in poker terms is called the turn. Um, now, so there's four cards out, two cards in your hand, and you get you guessed it. <laughs> one more option to exchange a card from your hand with a card from the deck, and then lastly, a final card is turned up known as the river. And now you have five cards face up and in the center of the table and two cards in your hand. And the next step is to be to find the highest scoring word you can out of all seven of these cards. The highest scoring word basically means um just like in Scrabble, certain letters have certain values. So if you can use you can make a word with a Z, it's gonna be worth a heck of a lot more than making a word with an E. Right. <laughs> so what you're trying to do is find the best valued word that you can, and you're gonna get bonuses if you can manage to form a four, five, six, or seven letter word. Right. Which is really cool. So you write this on your little score sheet, you make sure and keep it hidden or concealed from your opponents. Now comes the huge decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the, where it brings in the crazy poker aspect. Um, you're gonna to have to decide on whether you want to stay in the poker hand or fold from the poker hand. They've included really cool little plastic chips. On one side it says stay, on the other side it says fold. So you're going to make a decision um, of which one you want to do. You'll put the chip out with your two cards that were in your hand over it. So the chip is actually concealed from anybody else. Yeah,
0: you want to do it either simultaneously or so no right. one knows what you've decided.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. So here's, what, here's the repercussions of choosing either. <laughs> if you choose to fold, you're guaranteed to score the value of your word. And that's all you're going to get this term. No bonuses, no just bonuses. The word. So you will get a bonus if you have a long word. Right. But that's it. If you choose to stay in the poker hand, you have to win the poker hand to score anything. anything. <laughs> so the second you decide to stay in, you are risking the value that you are going to make from your word. However, if you do manage to win the poker hand, you're going to get a poker bonus, which is equal to the value of your word. So it's almost like doubling the yeah, points that you got. At least doubling your score. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much parlay in a nutshell. And we only tried, like I said, the Texas Holder version. I know they have um, the Omaha version. There's a and draw poker. There's, there's a draw, draw poker. There's, and then they
0: there's have some, a poker variants with like you can. We actually play with the jokers too. There's two that, jokers. That's in right. The deck. I Forgot about the jokers. Um, that they you can use them like any letter, but they don't count for. Um, there's no points. word point, right? Exactly. Uh, just like it would be like having a blank tile in Scrabble, in Scrabble. Exactly. Um, and the, you can't use them in your poker hand. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I think the one we I kept
1: trying with, to use them as a J. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. But but yeah, yeah. I, this this game just was. This is going to be coming out all the time. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, you don't get all the betting in between rounds and stuff like that. But when you get to that final thing and you've picked out your word, um, it's just really cool deciding whether to stay or to fold, you know, and then kind of revealing what your word is and, you know, going for the poker hands. And I think you you just dusted the heck out of me. <laughs> Man, you had words, poker hands, everything. I was just... Well, you played, a, what, 500?
0: And I think in four hands, I was to like 497. <laughs> yeah. And I think I had 70. Yeah, putting that English major to good <laughs> use <laughs> <Exactly>. there. <laughs> uh, is the a
1: word?
2: No. <laughs> but
1: it's, it was a great... It's really cool. Yeah, I,
0: to me, I think the great aspect of uh, that word-building game combined with a game where you have to make tough decisions, like po- you know, poker is a game of agonizing decisions you know that are going to cost you all your chips, or not, right. that they've managed to incorporate some of that feel into the game by having that stay-fold mechanic without necessarily making it a, a straight-out gambling game. Right. It still has that agonizing decision Absolutely. of, I've got an awesome <laughs> word, but... Do I risk it because my poker hand is really marginal, or do I just bluff at it because I might not have much of a word at all, but I may have an awesome poker hand? So the other person may be trying to double up, you know, their points because they've got a good word and kind of a crappy hand. That that, that whole balance. mindset awesome. that you yeah. have to go through the that le- leaping through those mental hoops, I think, is really the fun of the game. To right, me. and we
1: we kind of learn the potential of what hands poker hands can be. Cause I folded several times cause I thought there's no way I just have crap. <laughs> and I could have won like two or three
0: times. He learned I'm willing to press my luck a little more than, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's part of the oh. aspect too is you learn how people play too that, you know, right. you're playing the player as much as you are the cards too. If somebody's just devil may care and, and <laughs> the,
1: the, the, rounds in between the flop and the turn in the river that allow you to exchange cards allow for a wide variety, I thought you know we were going to come up with the same word all the time or something like that, and we never did. There's no, a huge variety of
0: yeah. There's a, a great amount of volatility because right. you can exchange so many car I mean, you could cycle through your hand several times yep. within the uh, the course of just the before the flop, then the flop and the turn. Um, that, that's really cool. I think. Um, to me, I guess the only thing that I'm really shocked in the rules <laughs> that they didn't include is why in the world would you not include if you wanted to ga- you actually, actually gamble right. with exactly. this game? There's got to be a way to oh, incorporate yeah. an actual gambling
1: mechanic into the game as well. That well, I think if we put our minds to it for about 60 seconds, we'd easily be able to come up with some variations on how to... It's just begging for it. Yeah. And I, just,
0: I, mean, I can see them saying... You know, here's the basic rules, and sort of like the cheap ass thing at the end. You know, just sort of as <laughs> exactly. A we don't recommend this, but <laughs> if you want to gamble with this game, here's how you would go about doing it. Right. Because you can't tell me that they didn't. I don't know. At least try. Just maybe
1: that a lot of people out there aren't willing to wager on their vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I would clean clock. <laughs> I might be in trouble. I, Goober is like the high point in my <laughs> my vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I have to spell it for him. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I'd be like the Doyle Brunson. Of oh, of, <laughs> of parlay if uh, <laughs> if they let me spell, Stop. <laughs> but I would definitely to me it's a great example. Like I think I started saying at the beginning of how they've taken the mechanic of a classic poker, a uh, classic game like poker, right. and found a way to to marry it to another rules mechanic without it just being this complete Frankenstein's monster of a game <laughs> exactly. where neither one really succeeds. That you can take those simple concepts and. If you're smart about it, merge them together and find, you know, a a nice Frankenstein.
1: (laughs) I I thought it was going to, I thought one of the components was going to be weak. I thought it was going to be a horrible word game or poker that wasn't fun at all. And, well, I was completely wrong. Yeah. So, number two off the list, Parlay. Definitely check it out. Like I said, no deals online, but go to their websites, realdealgames.com, I think. Yeah, that's right. You can actually buy it from their website. Nice people. Great people. Awesome game. Keep it up.
0: (laughs) Backshelf Spotlight. These games need some love, and we're going to give it to them. The Backshelf Spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention. Classic games, rare games, obscure games that you may not know about, but you should. If you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. So, of course, before we get into the new Backshelf Spotlight, we have the Connections Contest that we play every week. There's a connection between the two games, and uh, last week's, uh, last episode's uh, games were Jambo and Java. Java And there's a connection that we were looking for from all you listeners out there to see if you could come up with the connection. It's always a little left of center, it's always gonna be not an obvious connection, so all you people who guessed, they both begin Q with J.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> My turn to reach through the yeah. microphone and go, yeah,
1: we're not quite that late. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> you
0: gotta try a little harder than that. But um we did get It was a few- actually
1: because both J's were followed by an A.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're done. See ya. <clears throat> But um, we did have a couple of pretty good guesses oh, yeah, that definitely. were worth mentioning that were not right, but were definitely uh, thinking along the right turns. Right, you, We're starting to get people thinking like us, which is kind of scary.
1: We kind of thought that we might have a lot of correct guesses on this one. It was The, the episode was call, kind of Halloween-themed, so we kind of made our connection align with that a little bit. We'll <laughs> give that as a little teaser to you while we kind of go over some of the really cool guesses that were unfortunately incorrect, because we did get plenty of those guys <laughs> yep <laughs> so um we had uh, anka Boot
0: in malaysia guessed that both games had people with loincloths on the cover <laughs> which is a, a pretty good guess great it's a, connection. It's a wrong guess but yeah. it, that's a great connection <laughs>
1: definitely Any time, true definitely true exactly yeah, well, anytime you can mention loincloth and in concert <laughs> with a game you gotta love that definitely so we um had a handful of guesses from mathen in virginia um he had the dreaded Jay guess, but I think every single email that I got started off. But just to make sure I want to check and that yeah. it wasn't Jay. <laughs> um but he he said they both have a shirtless guy <laughs> on the box, <laughs> which I thought was great because they definitely do. And, and his other one that was kinda cool was that uh the player who ends the game, finishing the last turn, um can still easily lose, which is kind of something we had talked about yes. you know, with those games. And so that was those were kind of cool connections. And I'm not sure if I get that. He said, uh, what are two games that have never been in my kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I think we need proof of this, Matt. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's pretty out there. <laughs> so uh, last but not least on the, on the uh, great guesses worth mentioning, Robin in the UK pointed out that both games are names of things that can be consumed. So Java, of course, is coffee, right? By another name, and Jambo is the name of an African fruit, which that is very, very creative, Excellent. Robin. That is well done, well done indeed. We're gonna have to like start consulting with Robin before we come up with connections. Right, exactly. That was his are almost better than ours in that some was cases.
1: Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that's he's honorable mention this week. But cool. Da, 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 da. We do have a winner <laughs> out of all the correct guesses that we have. We put the names in a hat. We draw a name out. We actually have a winner this week. Woohoo! Seth Bell from Rochester, New York <laughs> is our first prize winner ever Yay! on the spiel. He figured out that our devious connection, kind of Halloween themed, was that both games have masks.
2: <laughs>
1: How evil is that? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so for his effort, um, Seth, if you will send us Your name and your address. Obviously, we know your name, but (laughs) you'll send us your address. Uh, We will work on getting those prizes to you, which Stephen will describe in gory detail
0: (laughs) now. (laughs) Yes, we have our first fabulous prize set. Granted, it's kind of a small prize, but, you know, we've we've got a small budget here at the Spiel, so you're going to have to work with us here. But for your efforts in winning the Backshelf Spotlight Connection contests, Seth will win a pair of custom spiel dice
2: <laughs>
0: two six sided dice, one has a little meeple on the the face of the die, and the other one has our spiel logo and our website address on it. Um, we haven 't gotten them from the manufacturers yet, so uh, it's going to be there 's going to be a little time lag before they get mailed out um, to the first winners here, maybe the next couple winners before right. uh, they actually go out in the mail. Um, but they should be arriving within the next couple of weeks. And as soon as they do, we'll, we'll start sending out every, uh, episode. We'll have at least one, one winner yeah. here. That's going to get a nice set of spiel, spiel dice, dice and we're going to make them kind of collectible. So we're doing kind of small print runs. So after we run out of the first ones, we'll do different color, maybe even a different design on the dice. Right. So you know, if you you're might, lucky enough to win, enough to win you can. Right. You might even win more than one pair We've seen the prototypes, and they're... They look cool. They look very they're cool. They're really cool.
1: They're very nice We're dice. working with
0: uh, Chessex Manufacturing, and they, they're doing these really I'm going to cool have to figure out a way to win the connection game.
1: <laughs> you know me. Got to have my He's dice. got to have his dice. So
0: congratulations, <laughs> Seth. Awesome. Great job. Um, on to this week's Backshelf Spotlight. So remember, obviously, there's going to be connections between these games... And we invite your, uh, emails with all your guesses. You can guess as many times as you want. Um, remember to send your emails to either Stephen at the or Dave at the Spiel.net. And we're happy to, to field all your guesses, even the, even the slightly silly ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, the first game on the shelf spotlight this week is The Queen's Necklace. It was published in 2003. The game designers are Bruno Fiduti and Bruno Cathala, the Bruno twins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh Days of Wonder is the publisher. Two to four players, about 30 to 45 minutes uh, average game time. And you can find it online for about $18. <clears throat> so here's the little short intro for the game. Cool. Uh, assuming the role of the king's jeweler, each player through the course of three years of apprenticeship competes to craft and sell the most desirable jewels in the kingdom. At the end of each year, a merchant will announce a sale where the jewelers will decide which of their creations they want to sell. The jeweler who earns the most profit from these sales after the end of three years will be awarded a title of nobility and a place at the king's court. To succeed, the jeweler must balance the use of limited funds when buying expensive new gems or purchasing favor from the king, the queen, or others, or hiring a thief or a forger to do their bidding. Um, To begin with, Four gem counters and four fashion value counters are randomly paired on the board. The basic gameplay is broken down into three phases, influence, purchase, and devaluation. On the influence phase, you can play character cards. These are rule breaker cards that will let you mess with other players' hands, look at their hands, uh, determine which gems are in fashion, and so on. On the purchase phase, you must buy at least one gem card or character card from a set of face-up cards in the middle of the table. You start each turn with 10 ducats to spend, and you don't get that money to carry over (laughs) from turn to turn, so if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, The value of the cards change throughout the game, with the current value of any card being indicated by a cool little golden ring marker that's placed on the card and will shift up and down the card um, on the next phase, which is the devaluation phase. So any cards that aren't purchased, their uh, ring markers are going to get shifted down one spot on the value, so they become cheaper to buy the longer they stay out. If, however, the marker's already at the bottom-most value and it can't go any lower, whoop, card is gone. It's removed from the board. Um, each turn follows the same order until a merchant card is drawn, which provokes a jewel sale. Um, this is sort of the scoring and the basic meat of the game as it c- comes to these scoring rounds. Um, you try to assemble sets of gems of each type and you all play them out simultaneously. These sets are going to influence the gem's rarity, which are the other tokens that are going to go on the other side of the fashion. So how fashionable the gem is and how rare the gem is is going to determine the value. Um, the least total number of gems are obviously going to be the most rare and the most are going to be the least... Rare, if that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I got that right. <laughs> After all that's been kind of determined, the person with the most gems, numerically, of a certain type of gem will be able to complete the sale for that. And they're the, going to be the only ones that are going to sell that type of gem, and they'll get money for for those ones. Um the cool the extra cool aspect of the game that I've sort of given you the overview of the mechanics now the extra cool aspect of the game is the queen's necklace is not only the name of the game but it's also a card and a prop in the in the game whoever acquires the queen's necklace card must wear the necklace to show that he or she has it in his possession it's, I think, the most powerful card in the game because it allows players to cancel the effect of the king cards, which can eliminate sales of gems from the game, and it makes someone who's played those king cards onto a stack have to pay you a tribute in money, which, after all, is the, the name of the game. The person at I the know. end of the three years, the person with the most money, is going to be the, the winner of the game. So, cool props, a uh, really fun um, card hand management game, you're you're... Balancing, I have to get gems because I have to try to be able to have enough gems to win these sales, but the character cards are so cool and do allow you to do so many things that it's so tempting to spend all your money on buying the the character cards and plus you've got you know you've got the jewelry uh Francie, my <laughs> partner in crime is a jewelry maker by trade, so this was a no brainer for us just because it had a necklace exactly. in the game, but it's not you might think oh it's a kid's game just because of the, the jewelry or the way the art looks, but it is it's got some yeah, meat surprise, to it. Surprise!
1: This ain't no girly game. No, it is not <laughs> at
0: all. Um, but I would highly recommend it. You know, Dave,
1: what? Give me your it, two cents it, it here. Absolutely, was a great game. The only thing I remember being disappointed about was that for the queen's necklace, if I remember correctly, for you to be able to do that, there was like the moons, the stars had to align because you had yeah. to have what the card. You had to get the necklace and the card had to come up at the same time or I can't remember how it worked out, but the the necklace as powerful it was and maybe it's very a good thing that it does it, but it didn't come into play all the time. You know, it's not yeah. every single game you're not <clears throat> guaranteed to have, you know, this mechanic of the Queen's necklace come into play. And as cool as it is, I would have liked to have seen that come into play yeah you know a lot more often that's us though
0: well i think part of it is that it's the threat that it might come into play because if somebody gets it into their hand then they have to wear the necklace just to show that they have it so they may they'll have it and you know well gosh do i risk playing a king card out onto one of those stacks of gems because i know that person has it and they may not want to pay the price of playing it but you know that that threat's always kind of lingering out there um but I think it's one that people would obviously overlook because they oh, think definitely. it's either girly or yeah. little kitty, and it definitely has a
1: really uh, nice level great, of depth yeah. to it. And I remember once you get comfortable <laughs> with all the um, the special cards, the the character, I mean, they can do some amazing stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And you f- you find yourself, you know, just, <laughs> oh God, that's terrible. I can't <laughs> possibly play that on somebody, except for maybe Steven. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but it was. I do remember enjoying that very much. <laughs> So that first game is Queen's Necklace. Cool. So the uh, second game, which has a connection to the first game, (laughs) in the spotlight tonight is a um, game called Heron Tortoise. It's a game that quite literally has a very storied past, (laughs) and that's because it's based on the classic Aesop's fable, and that fable is the Heron and the Tortoise. For anybody who's not familiar, I'll give you like the Reader's Digest version of the Heron Tortoise (laughs) for anybody who doesn't know this. The hare challenges the tortoise to a race, The tortoise accepts and immediately begins the race at his own slow and steady pace. The hare, confident in her victory, decides, well, you know what, I think I'll take a nap first. Unfortunately for her, when she wakes up, she finds that the tortoise has already crossed the finish line. The moral of the story being, slow and steady wins the race. (laughs) I'm sure most everybody is familiar with that moral. Pretty much good use for that in everyday life. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You know, so... Along, about 1849, along comes the game, the hare and the tortoise. It was originally designed by William Spooner. I consider myself very, very lucky because I actually own a full-size copy of the original Spooner wow. board. It was, it was included in an old R.C. Bell board game book as a pullout, huh. with several, several, uh, several other pullouts of full-size old board games. I think the book was published sometime in the 70s. Very cool. Um anyway, I don't think I've ever seen that in your collection. I'll have to show that to you sometime. That's it's, cool. It's very cool. <laughs> so, like I said, that was 1849. Jump into the future, 1974. <laughs> um Abacus Spiela published a retooled version of the game that was designed by David Parlett. Um the new version, in addition to being retooled mechanics-wise, it was also renamed instead of the Hare and the Tortoise, it was simply called Hare and Tortoise. Uh, then jump ahead. Five more years in 1979, Heron Tortoise becomes the first recipient ever of the highly coveted Spiel <laughs> de Jar. How awesome is that? I mean, very few games are lucky enough to win this, let alone to be able to say, I was the very first winner ever of this. <laughs> yeah. It's totally cool. Well deserved, too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so now jump ahead another 20 or 30 years. Our copy of Heron Tortoise is the English language version that was published by Rio Grande in 2000. It's for 2-6 to six players, ages 10 and up. Retails for 28 bucks. you can find online for about $18. I'm not going to go into a huge gargantuan amount of detail since I just spent like 10 minutes giving you the history of the game. <laughs> um, it is, as you might have guessed, a pretty simple little race game. What I think sets it apart from other race games is the mechanic that it uses. During the race, you have to spend carrot cards, which are the game's currency, to move your piece forward. One of the only ways to earn more cards is to move your piece backwards, <laughs> in effect forcing you to go slow and steady. <laughs> so through the use of this mechanic, Heron Tortoise does an amazing job recreating the lesson that was taught in the fable. You know, any game that can pull off that kind of connection, you know, gets an A plus for me and definitely belongs on the spotlight. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's classic. A lot of people think this is a kids' <laughs> game.
0: It is. It's accessible to kids, but Absol- that doesn't right. mean
1: that it's a kids game. Exactly. And this might have been one of the original games with this mechanic of you have to go back to go forward. I know many since then have come out. Yeah, Cartagena comes to yeah, mind. Exactly. Classic, classic mechanic. And just like Steven said, very accessible to kids. There's a lot more to this game than just a rate. You know, there are all kinds of special cards and special spaces on the board. Um, but it is, a classic great game in every sense of the word. And that's... You Seek, it, do, out. Yeah, Seek exactly. it out.
0: Seek it out. It belongs on every gamer's shelf for the same, the same point we were making with Scopa too. If you're interested in kind of the history of board games and thinking about how the, the mechanics have developed over time, here's a perfect example of a yep. game that has stood that <laughs> test of time and is still influencing how other board games are, are being made today. Without a doubt.
1: <laughs> and remember... There is, in fact, a connection between yes. the Queen's Necklace and Heron Tortoise. <laughs> Insane as that may seem. Yes, so send your
0: guesses to <laughs> Stephen at the Spiel.net. Or dave at the Spiel.net. And, of course, remember our website is... Thespiel.net. The th- Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Goober as either... A game with a ton of quality components, or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying that you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great goober can make an already great game sublime. Let's see what the Goobermeisters have for us this week. So Truckloads of Goober this week, I've got one that I was surprised that you haven't already crossed off the Goober list here. Oh, I, yeah? was, I was yeah. good to get uh, snag this one before you could <laughs> uh, point this one out to people. So, uh, the game for Truckloads of Goober this week is Krieg and Frieden. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 1999, it was uh, originally published uh Gerard Mulder, uh, TM Spila and 999 Games. 3 to 4 players. 90 minutes, average game time, may even be longer than that, <laughs> having played yes, this game yeah. a few times. Uh, $36, you can find it, which is an excellent price. If you can find it online Very. for that price, snap it up, because it is way worth it. We won't mention what Dave got it for yeah, exactly. Gen Con. The <laughs> rat Bastard got it for way cheaper than that. <laughs> but here's a little bit about the game. Uh, originally published under the title Charlemagne by Think Games in uh, at Essen in 1998, in Krieg and Frieden, you are a landowner in a feudal society charged with gaining favor from the bishop by building his cathedral. Each turn, players will use their resources to bid for that year's agenda, with some resources having more or less value in the bid depending upon what type of agenda is available. The, then the players use their remaining resources to build their lands, sack other people's lands bribe other people's knights away from their defenses, or to help build the bishops' cathedral. Finally, players harvest new resources for the next turn. After all the pieces of the cathedral have been built, the game is over with victory going to the player with the most victory points. Now the game design and mechanics are enough to call this game a beautiful game on those terms alone, but the beauty of this game is more than just a great set of rules. The large circular board is very colorful with well-illustrated medieval village surrounding the central construction site of the cathedral. Uh, played onto this board are massive colored wooden pieces depicting all the building pieces of the cathedral itself as well as the medieval, uh, barns or houses right. that your workers are going to be held in, um, the game ends only when this giant structure is complete in the middle of the board. So you're always left with this beautiful, colorful medieval village with a cathedral towering over it all at the end of the game. It's just—it's like a work of art, I, th- I think, almost when the when you're done playing the game, you can just sit back and you're... I can remember thinking about this uh, when we played the first
1: time, thinking, "Man, we need to take pictures of this game just because right. it looks so cool." I couldn't um, believe when I when I purchased the game, I had no idea what I was buying. <laughs> Right. I open it up. I'm like, "Oh man, these are probably some of the largest wooden components I have seen in a game." I felt like I had bought, you know, a set of building blocks. You know, right. for, I mean, they're just. <laughs> he did the shake test when he
0: first bought it, and it was like, "What in the world is in this game?" Because they're giant. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's definitely a goober in every
0: sense of the way. The game box itself is kind of cool too. It's it's actually shaped like a book right um, yeah the the box I mean almost every aspect of the game, the aesthetics were not secondary to the actual you know fun and yeah, playability right. of the game design. They put as much effort into all the aesthetics of the game as they did into the design, and that deserves every bit of of high praise that it can get from the truckloads of goober to it being an actual good game. Here's a case where it's not just the cool stuff. That I'm wanting to laud about the game. Right. It's an awesome game in its own right, and I'm sure at some point we'll delve into it, maybe yeah, in, in further detail. It's going to have to be
1: on the back shelf, sometime, <laughs> without a doubt.
0: Since since this is more for the goober, y- you definitely you know if you're into the bits and pieces of games, this one should be on your shelf because you're just not going to find a game <laughs> with this massive wooden cathedral in the center of it, um, anything like this. <laughs> the game Somalier or Right Game, Right Crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, The Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, one of us must earn the right, the honor, to be called The Game Sommelier. Here's Dave with this week's challenge. So Dave, your challenge was to find 5 games for the ultimate game geek bachelor party.
2: Yeah. You're the best man
0: <laughs> and you've got to come up with the best uh best party that you can for a gamer geek. So, let's let's let me have it here.
1: Cool. Okay. Well, I'm going to preface my <laughs> my picks with um I get the idea that this particular challenge was more a challenge of creating a complete and unique social gathering. For this particular experience, um, sure, I, I did pick five games, and they're absolutely awesome as far as I'm considered, um, <laughs> but I'm going to guess that you're probably also going to have a thumb in there for the like overall the overall experience yeah. so yeah, I just I, I'm down a thumb, so I needed to throw something <laughs> in there.
0: <laughs>
1: he's got to get an extra thumb <laughs> yeah, exactly okay um let's see if I had to put a name to what I've come up with. Um, I'm going to call this Gamer Geeks Bachelor Party Poker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, I'm going to give you a little teaser as to kind of what this is about. Then I'll let you know the games that I picked, and then I'll give you a little detail on kind of how they all fit together and why this is cool for a bachelor party. <laughs> so um, to start off with, like I said, um, there are going to be five games. The five games will be all set out at the same time. Uh, When everybody comes over at five different tables, all five games are for three to five players, so we can accommodate anywhere from three people up to 25 people at a time that might show up for this party. Nice. So, big party. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The evening on a whole is going to be something like a poker run. I'm not sure if people know what a poker run is. It's kind of like a road, kind of like a rally or a race where you have points where you have to stop and check in, and you get, in this particular case, cards. I'll get into more detail on this in a second. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> um, so, like I said, in our particular case, it's going to be poker. Okay, so you will be, basically, you will be attempting, in our version of the poker run, the games are going to be these checkpoints. Okay. So, you're going to be playing a game with the intent to place high enough in the game to allow you to win a card or cards to, by the end of the evening, make up a poker hand. Oh, okay. Are the cards that you win random? The cards, that they are random, okay. but how you place in the game determines the amount of cards.
2: Oh, So the okay. better
1: you do, the better chances you have okay. of weighing, I gotcha. you know, swaying That's the cool. like in your That's direction. That's awesome. um, so, I'm going to skip over a chunk of how specifically the Poker Run is going to work, and we're going to go to the five games that we're going to use okay. to get to the ends of this. So, I thought of all kinds of... These are gamer geeks. They're right up our alley. <laughs> I could have picked you know, five of the most heinous, evil, <laughs> geeky games on the planet, and I really wanted to, but I decided to do something. I picked five of my favorite games from the Aaliyah Large Box Series. We always talk about, oh, wouldn't it be cool to get together and play like all 10 of these in one night? <laughs> sure. I think that's impossible. So what I've done is picked five, five of those 10 that I think are the best and that, without a doubt, qualify as serious Game Geek games. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to start off with Raw. First one in the series, auction-style game. Probably this game is used to define... The majority of all auction games out there. It is a classic Egyptian theme, like I said. You're trying to bid on groups of tiles. Um, those groups of tiles um include tiles that you want to collect and tiles that you don't want to collect. <laughs> and um you get these cool little scoring tablets at the at the end of the game. I'm not gonna go into detail on very many of these games because each one of these deserves to be in the spotlight at some <laughs> point in time. So Ra is my first pick definitely thumbs up can't go wrong with <laughs> raw it's a classic
0: uh, hero game and and i would agree it sort of almost defines that that
1: new auction style game right so yeah big cool. thumbs big cool. thumbs up Number two, Chinatown. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Classic negotiation game. Kind of a tough game to get a hold of. This never actually came out in an English version. So puzzling why that is. Yeah, I don't get I know, that at all. know, because it is one of the best in this series. I, it's my favorite, I think. Exactly. It, it pits the players as businessmen attempting to compete for sections of buildings in which they can open up stores. And this is the trading game of trading games. <laughs> it is like... Trading to the nth degree. There is so much wheeling and dealing yeah, in that game. It, it is absolutely great, and I don't know a geek on the planet who doesn't <laughs> love to play this game. Yeah, well, that's perfect for a party-type atmosphere. Yeah. You've got all that wheeling and dealing, and if the beverages are flowing freely, <laughs> exactly. uh, that would even make it more interesting, exactly. I'm sure. So, yeah, that's big thumbs up, too. Cool. Number three, and people might, might be amazed to hear this, my favorite in this series, Taj Mahal because I know what most people's favorite is. Um, Takes place in India, and it's really cool. It's another auction game, but in this game, you're actually auctioning. um You're competing for different prizes that allow you to do different things in the game, like get more cards or place pieces on the board. This thing, just the way the cards are, the way the board is illustrated, everything is just... It feels so exotic when you're playing this game and the mechanics for it. I think this might have been one of the first games i would ever played in this series. And it just yeah. blew me away. <laughs> uh, it's a Rainer Kinesi thing, so no big surprise, but awesome, awesome. Another auction, but in a completely different way than Raw.
0: Yeah. It, this game hurts my head. I still I've played <laughs> this game multiple times,
1: and I still can't get my
0: brain around this game. I still walk away from it going, now how do you play this game? Because every time <laughs> I think I got it, I walk away thinking, man, I just still don't understand the best strategy to approach. I know the rules, but I right. just I never do well at it. But that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. It but is one of my all time favorites. Definitely a good one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely a thumbs up. I didn't know that that was your favorite though.
1: That's it's, that's an interesting. I don't know why. I just really like that game. Fourth, Princess of Florence, huge on everybody's list of must play, must have games. It's really cool. Each player is developing a medieval city. Each player has a board in front of them they're trying to get buildings to attract certain professionals to their city and it's kind of like this was two games in one because each player has their little board and as you're getting this build the building tiles of all different shapes and sizes it becomes a second game of being able to fit these into your board yeah. you know to make sure oh I blew that there's not enough room for the one building that I have to have to get this combo to attract the the organ player and the, <laughs> you know whatever it is but this is just an amazing hurt-your-head. Yeah. I still don't understand how to play this game, but (laughs) it is an awesome game. Definitely. I definitely uh,
0: give you a provisional thumbs-up. My only concern with this one, and it's more a concern with all the other games involved, is that there's not a whole lot of interaction in that game, as I remember it, you kind of you're in your own little world, kind of building that particular your one you, thing. Yeah, that you, you're right;
1: I hadn't thought about in that. terms it's, of it
0: being kind of a party. It might, I mean, but there's an ebb and a flow to a party. I mean, there's going to be right, points where, right. where where you know you could sit down and play a brain buster like that, where it's not kind of raucous for a couple hours and then right. move on to something else. So definitely, so, I mean, it's not a comment on the game because the right, game is an awesome it, exactly. game. It's just fitting it in with the, the overall If you I, picked another one like that. I might have to switch one of switch it to a thumbs down. <laughs> okay. But as long as they're they're not all, not all you're sitting back in your little shell, you know, with your brain coming out your nose because you can't <laughs> you can't
1: think straight, uh then cool. definitely a good choice. Cool. And number five, the game that I had to pick, if I was picking the <laughs> yeah. five best games and probably the game with the most unique mechanic of any game in the last ten years, Puerto Rico. <laughs> this game just rocks. It is every gamer's almost every gamer's choice of top three game somewhere some people pick it as one, some people pick it as three, but it it has that mechanic of every turn getting to take on the role of one of these people a builder or a trader or something and actually taking on the role of one of these people will allow you a special ability this turn that will help you you know either build um grow your crops or trade your crops or ship your crops or this game is just the antithesis of game geeker games. So. Yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely have, I
0: mean, I would have been shocked if you didn't include that <laughs> when you said what you were doing, that would be the one that would jump, jump to mind, especially right. because it seems to have been influenced by all those kind of real time strategy, computer games as oh, well. You absolutely. have that kind of resource building aspect to it as well. Um, it kind of has a little bit of that turtling up, like Princes of Florence, which concerns me a little. Just having two of those games on there, but Prince of, or uh, Puerto Rico is such a good game, right. and I, well, if you're has, assuming you know, if you're assuming that these are all gamer geeks right. and they're coming in, they've already played this game, you know, several times. Th- that there's going to oh, be yeah. enough time, and, and there's
1: there actually is a lot of interaction between the roles more. that you want to take there's and the true. roles That's that true. other people want. Somebody is always taking a roll out from underneath. Oh, me. yeah. It's like, oh, I had to have the builder this turn. Yeah. That ruins my entire strategy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you may take a roll just for that main purpose. <laughs> yeah, you just didn't need it. You them. just know that there's no <laughs> way you can let Steven have it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, and there's, especially with the whole extra game outside the games right. aspect to it you know you can you may not finish first but you may prevent somebody else <laughs> yeah. from finishing first right. and in this just because you don't going to be very important exactly <laughs> so i can i can see how that would be a really good choice for that kind of aspect cool too so yeah okay you're, you're batting a thousand so far okay so
1: we'll step away from the games and now we'll get back kind of how these all combine together for okay. the whole evening so like i said You need to um, place in these games high enough to get your cards. Only the first, second, and third place winners have a shot at any cards. Hmm. Um, The games are for three to five players. So if you're playing with three players, everybody's going to get it. If you happen to be playing with four or five, some people aren't even going to get cards. So it's going to be some pretty cutthroat action. (laughs) If you're in third place, simple, you get a card. If you're in second place, you get to draw two cards choosing which one you'd like to keep in your hand. If you're in first place, you get to draw three cards, choosing which two cards you'd like to keep in your hand. There is no limit to the number of cards you can have. Obviously, if you win one game and you get your two cards and you never place at all the rest of the night, the best you're going to do is a pair of something. (laughs) That's your best chance. Most likely, everybody's going to get quite a few because... I assume with game Geekers, we're not uh, game geeks. We're not talking about three hours. We're going to be playing for like ten hours. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be painful. <laughs> so everybody's going to have quite a few cards, and you're going to be aiming towards that final heinous poker showdown. Um, how we're going to tie this into a bachelor party is we're not just using any deck of cards. <laughs> okay. We're using a deck of cards from a game called Winch. Uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: not a great game in its own right. <laughs> Uh, but it has artwork, very appropriate for the evening. <laughs> for the evening. occasion, yes. On every card are these cartoon pinup girls. Not a little risque, not nasty at all, just yeah. fun little pinup <laughs> cards. It's going to create color for the whole evening as you collect <laughs> these little pinup girl cards. It's going to be hilarious. But they're even, poker cards, too. I but they're, they're, It's yeah, a regular it's poker a deck, It's a standard too. 52 card poker deck it's great for this type of thing to even go one step further if you want to go out and buy the absolute best bottle of tequila or vodka (laughs) that you can possibly buy and for every card drawn in the poker run you also have to take a shot so the person who wins and has the option of drawing three cards is going to go, oh, I need three cards for my poker hand. But do I really need three shots of Don Julio right now? <laughs> so, so my one question is, does the winner actually have to be conscious? Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a way to even out the playing field, you know. So it's a way of mixing all these crazy geeky games. But it still has to be a bachelor party. <laughs> all right, all right. So I, I think this would be... A lot of fun. Oh,
0: I, I, am, <laughs> I would agree. I would like to go to that bachelor party. That sounds like a good one. Cool. I, uh, I'm begrudgingly, I guess, I'm going to have to give you the sixth thumb. Woohoo! Just not that I want to, but that's you've gone the extra mile there, and that's pretty cool. cool. My only question with the poker mechanic is: Are we playing like five card draw poker? Um, so you're trying to make your best five card hands, yes. or is it like you're still playing a hand of? You know, Texas hold'em at the end, and so you you're just assembling all these cards, and you're going to take your two best hands, and then you're going to play like a normal game of poker, or is it? You're just, you have 17 cards, and you pick your best five. That's it. And,
1: okay. That's it. Just okay. straight and simple. And all, there's a lot of ways that you could culminate, you know, <laughs> this indie sure. poker thing to make it super exciting. I didn't go into a lot of detail, but it's basically the best. Up to five cards that you have out of what you could find. I love it. So (laughs) cool. Well, did a good job.
0: I would. I would sign myself up for that party.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna have to get remarried just so I can have that party. (laughs) Cool. So that brings us to. Ah, you know what? Yes, I'm ready. This is kind of a unique. This is a first for the spiel. Okay. Because the game sommelier for this this evening is not me. Oh, really? Your challenge comes from one of our listeners. Cool. Comes from Taylor Almond from Utah. Nice. And he, his challenge for you for the next episode okay. is to find five games that could convert an avid video gamer into an avid board gamer.
2: <laughs> he
1: considers himself of much more of a video gamer than he does a board gamer. So he's very interested in and okay. what it's going to take to turn him into a board game geek. Okay. <laughs> well, Taylor, I think
0: I, I can set you up with five good ones, Then I think I can... I accept your challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... I'll look forward to that next time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I didn't uh, I didn't even see that email. You've been sandbagging I, on I me. I kind of hid that one away from you and wanted to surprise you with it. <laughs> that's cool. That's very cool. Well, and, and certainly anybody else out there listening, if you've got challenges you want to set to either one of us, just send us an email at Stephen at thespiel dot or David dot net, and we'll be happy to to throw those down and and uh, put it in front of either one of us and see what we can do with it. Yeah, so we're more than happy to.
1: Just send your gloves flying in our direction. (laughs) (laughs) This should be... I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. (laughs) I'm ready. Mailbag.
0: It's time for you to let us know what you think. Comments, questions, criticisms. Let us have it. So welcome to the mailbag. We had another rousing uh, round of emails from you all out there, so... Um, without further ado, let's just jump right in and see what you all what what's on your mind this Sa- week. <laughs> sounds good. Um, we had an email from Dustin in New York who wants to know about finding uh, other gamers in a new area. So he writes, uh, "Thanks to your podcast and a couple of others, I'm really starting to pick up this great hobby of board gaming. I have one problem though. I've moved to a new area recently and I don't have a game group yet. I play with some friends and family, but I'm interested in, interested in expanding my game playing horizons." Do you have any recommendations on how to go about either starting a game group or finding one to join i I'll give you a few pointers or tips. One is uh, if you have a local brick and mortar game store um, that you frequent a lot of times I know we both <laughs> worked at a game store for many, many years, right. and there's usually like a message board or something on the um in the game store with people looking for groups or groups that already exist or game clubs that right. would be, you know, within the area. Or you may find that that game store itself may have sponsored game nights where there are groups that actually come in and play there. So I would encourage you, if you have a local brick-and-mortar store, I know it's it's awesome to find good deals online, but it's really nice to have a local place that you always know right. you can go and find some place to play. So that's suggestion one. Suggestion two would be um, to, I would encourage you to look on uh, – online on places like the Board Game Geek because it's such a large community of gamers and they've got this great forum system that I would, I couldn't, I can't believe that if you posted, I live in New York City and I'm looking for people (laughs) to board, I mean, you may be worried about all, you may get so many responses that you don't know (laughs) what to do, but I think that you would get a good response on Board Game Geek or any number of other online communities that are really well supported by kind of the board right. gaming community. And you
1: can certainly set up like neutral ground and meet, you know. I mean, yeah. I know a lot of people who meet in you know, libraries <laughs> sure. and stuff and they play board games and it might end up building friendships that Right. you know.
0: Lastly, my other suggestion would be look for any local universities. Uh, um, that often they'll have gaming clubs associated with the university and there's almost I know just from having been involved with some of those when I was in undergrad and grad school that they don't care whether you're a student or not. You know, if you're interested in gaming, the more (laughs) the merrier. So there's three suggestions. It's kind of a tough nut to crack. I know if you're new to a place, it's kind of intimidating, but especially if you go to a local game store, you know, you're already got a community of people that are kind of into the same things that you are. So whether you do that online or at a college or at a game store, there's some, there's some good ideas, I think, for you to pursue. Next, um,
1: we have an email from Ankaboot um, in Malaysia. In Malaysia, and he he writes that he's um, been reading on the um, Geek Forum, which is the Board Game Geeks forum, that there are some Malaysian gamers who have talked about laminating their go- their board game pieces. <laughs> I, I I just can't even imagine that <laughs> they're talking about some people who are even laminated the entire game game boards components. Everything, like the settlers of Catan. Yeah, he I even mentioned settlers tiles. I mean can, I, I cannot even imagine that. I have laminated several things in my collection, several like reference sheets, you know, or stuff that you're gonna use over and over that you don't want to go bad, but as far as going as as crazy enough to end <laughs> I mean, to laminate tiles yeah. and components and boards, I know that they're dealing with I mean a, a weather You know, much different climate than we have here. I absolutely don't find the need for that at all here, so I can't condemn them 100% because it may be... Maybe it's uh, necessary. Yeah, they may find it necessary, but that's not a practice that I'm familiar with and don't...
0: Yeah, if anybody out there does this, let us know uh, uh, what your results are because I would think, especially if it's like a tile thing, they're not going to butt up against each other because you're going to have all those
1: lamination seams. Typically, just some good quality plastic bags and to make sure they're stored, you know, not in direct sunlight and, dry. and not wet. Exactly. <laughs> they're going to be fine. Typically, no matter how much you like a game, it's in a box more than it's on the table. Yep. So, as long as you store it good, I don't <laughs> think the laminating of your pieces is is the answer. So that's freaky. Thanks for bringing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had never heard of that. <laughs> that's pretty wild. <laughs> Um, let's see, Yoki
0: in Sweden wants to know what we look like <laughs> be afraid Yoki oh, yeah, yeah. be, be very, very afraid, afraid. <laughs> he writes in and says great podcast, I finally took the time to check out your website but why no photos I thought I'd get the chance to match your faces to your voices but no such luck or perhaps it was luck. <laughs> yeah. I would vote for perhaps it was luck. That was maybe. definitely luck
1: in disguise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you really want to see what we look like in the enhanced version of the podcast, in the Gen Con episodes especially, there are many pictures of Dave and I holding up games and looking like dorks. Exactly. I know at at some point we need to do a little overhaul of the host page, and we will put up pictures. Yeah, we will uh, definitely. Of ourselves. We got a couple of nice pictures with like Jay Tummelson and Reiner Canizia. Right. We could throw up there, but... uh you know, that, that cliché about having a face that's perfect for radio, you know. <laughs> that might apply to Dave. Yeah.
1: Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> um, Very funny. So, so let's see, who's next on the um, list? We have an email from Mathen in Virginia, and he asks, how do you shuffle your cards? What gives you the best shuffle while keeping game cards in good condition? He wants to know our opinion of electronic shufflers, and do we use card protectors? So the first thing we're going to go ahead and start off with the electronic shufflers. Um, while many many years ago there might have been good electronic shufflers, that is not the case today. Ugh. There are shufflers that range anywhere from ten dollars to about fifty bucks. Um, electronic, manual, hand cranking shufflers—they all are horrible, crap, they are—they are not worth anything whatsoever. <laughs> um, the professional card, the professional shufflers. That casinos use are amazing, but they are five thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so if you really have to have one, then <laughs> go for it. <laughs> go for one of those guys. Now there is one. In looking a little bit online, Excalibur is makes one for a hundred dollars. That looks like it's a different style. It looks like it leans closer to um, a professional style one than all the other ones we're talking about. Hmm. I am not familiar with that at all. If anybody owns or has used. One of the Excalibur card shufflers, is about, they're 100 bucks. Let us know. Let us know, because if there is a good one out there, I would love, to, love know to know about it, because yeah. I sure as
0: heck haven't found any. My grandpa had one when I was a kid, but his was like vintage 1940s technology. Right. And, I mean, I, I think... That was the best one I've ever seen and I'm
1: sure they don't make those. Yeah, anymore. those are non existent unfortunately, <laughs> except for if you get lucky at a garage sale. Yeah. You know. But as far as the um, car protectors, I think you and I both have lots of cars and car protectors. Oh yeah. Um Either old card games that, you know, we really don't want to get worn out any more than they are, or collectible card games. A lot of our card games are in those. You've um,
0: converted me to that. I used to not do it, but if, especially if it's a game you're going to use a lot I've, I've of.
1: spent, I've made a lot of my cheap-ass games, unfortunately not cheap anymore, <laughs> by putting some of their cards in protectors because the games are so good and I want them to last. And those games are just paper. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so yeah, we do use those. Going back to your first thing about how do you get a good shuffle. Wow. This goes, I've heard arguments about this yeah. insanity, and Stephen has a great story on this yeah. that I think he would love to tell you, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and tell that, actually. we had, I, I was at a, a science
0: fiction uh, writing conference, and there were... Uh, several dorkier guys than me if and you that's, can pretty imagine. Tough. that's pretty <laughs> tough to find who had an extended probably half an hour argument over how many times you needed to shuffle to get you know the perfect randomized uh... deck and i think the the upshot of the argument was that eight was the correct number of, of shuffles that you needed, needed to make, you know, just a normal riffle right. shuffle in order for the deck to be completely randomized with a normal 52 deck of cards. Right. Of course, there were all the, oh, you know, the, the these guys thing. were getting out their slide rules and, <laughs> and, you know, doing all the calculations for different numbers of decks and things. But, uh, you know, I'd say I usually will try to do somewhere between That's five my, and ten Yeah, you My know, rule riffle thumb shuffles. is around the
1: seven or eight. Always does a good job and... That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So who else did you hear from? Let's see. Scotty
0: in Mississippi wants some help with uh, some game-themed parties that he has coming up. So next, uh, he writes in and says next month, his theme for his game group uh, party is Pirates and Cowboys. Oh, yeah. The only problem is that he only has two games for each category, cowboy games and pirate games. Um, So his two games that he has for Cowboys are Bang and Wyatt Earp. And his two for pirates, are Pirates Cove and Cartagena. So he was calling, or he was uh, writing in for some help on some other suggestions. So I'm not going to go into any rules descriptions. <laughs> yeah. I'll include show notes, uh, the links in the show notes, so people can look up and find out more about these games. But I'm going to give you not one, not two, not three, but four oh. games for each uh, cool. thing. Um, so for uh, cowboy games, I would suggest. Nadenlos, I'll even spell this one. G N A D E N L O S. And I think the translation is merciless. <laughs> yes. Or law I think even lawless I've oh, seen okay. it too as, okay. a, as a translation. Um so that's that's a good one. I think classic awesome western themed cow poker. Yep. Uh, pueblo uh a little american indian but uh, I think it uh, yep. definitely would fit with a cowboy theme uh, an excellent game and go west. Great game. Good cowboy themed theme, games. Yep. Uh, for pirate games, I would suggest Corsari, which I cool. just mentioned in the last game, Sommelier. Scallywags, which are cool. building pirates out of body parts, which <laughs> is awesome. Uh, Rum and Pirates, which we covered in Gen Con uh, episode uh, 12 or 11, mm-hmm. I think. 11, yep. Um, and Halunken and Spelunken drunk pirates uh, going from uh, uh, bar, bar to, to bar, bar on the port. <laughs> um, excellent, excellent pirate game. So, uh, in future episodes, look for us to talk about, we have a pirate themed party every year and, uh, sort of like our formula day thing. We'll go into that in greater <laughs> detail at some point. So look forward to that, um, to give you an idea of how you might host a a pirate themed party and incorporate different games and not just have it be, okay, what's the next game? Okay. Yeah. What's the next game? Um, so thanks, Scotty. Hope that helps you
1: out and, and hope you're <laughs> having fun with your game parties. Um, uh, my next one up is um, another email from Taylor Allman, the oh, same the challenger. listener who was the challenger. Awesome. <laughs> he wanted us to know about a game called Curses. And this game we do not own, and it's not on our wish list, but we have played it, and it is a great, fun party game. <laughs> um, he just wanted to make sure that all the listeners, because it's not something we probably were going to bring up, Yeah. so he wants you to know that he thinks Curses is an awesome game. It's a party game where you're actually... You have challenges that are put on you and you're putting curses on other people. So you might get a curse that says you have to talk like a pirate for the rest of the evening. And then you might draw a challenge that says you have to sell long distance phone service to everybody else while While you're talking talking like like a pirate pirate, (laughs) and while you're touching your nose, you know, finger to your nose. It's just the classic party (laughs) game, but it's, it's got all these really fun challenges and these, all these really cool curses. And it is just zany, crazy fun. So I know since since this isn't on our list, look at this. It is a great game. Unfortunately, there are great games that aren't on our list. (laughs) Hard
0: to believe. (laughs) This one might get added to the list. Thank you for that uh, suggestion. But (laughs) it's good to know that there are people out there covering our backs and and pointing out the ones that that slip past us. Anybody
1: has any other games they noticed not on our list that you think we absolutely must know about? Most likely we do and have played it, but (laughs) hey. You know, we we could have missed something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely possible.
0: So, last but not least, a couple people uh, singing our praises here. Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, hard to believe. So, <laughs> Matt writes in to say, just wanted to let you both know that I think your show's great. I really enjoy the different segments you all put put on and the intros that you do for each one. A big improvement over the early episodes where you just talked about the segment before doing it. Which I would definitely agree. I think that's uh, a <laughs> That's definitely. I, I would agree. <laughs>
1: Stephen is the one that does all the hard work on those intros, and I love them a lot. They're great. Definitely better than not hearing us blabber on about what
0: what each episode's about each time. Exactly. Um, oh, I almost forgot. There's um, a listener, David, um, had a couple of good comments. One about the game Sommelier. Uh, he says he particularly enjoys the game Sommelier segment. It reminds him of the movie City Slickers when they're challenging the ice cream moguls, Ira and Barry, to pick the best ice cream <laughs> for a given dinner. <laughs> he recommends that we use the phrase Scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla Don't waste my time When either one of us gives us a too easy of a challenge there you, there Which you I go. think is just an awesome very Awesome thing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He also doesn't necessarily agree With some of my math game choices From the uh, last thing But you know, that's okay Heavy yeah. is the head that wears the game sommelier crown exactly. I can take it if people want to <laughs> Bust my chops a little He does, however, recommend Diamante As a great game with uh, to deal with math concepts, which I totally agree with. I think that's a good, Oh, cool. That was just a in good our choice. news and notes um, exactly. an episode ago. Exactly. Excellent. An um, actual player who can recommend it. So okay, that's, cool. So that's awesome. Um, and I think last but not least for sure this time is Bob from Pittsburgh writes in to say, quick note, just to let you know how much I enjoy the job you're doing. It's a great service to the public and the hobby as well. I understand how much work must go into producing each episode, so thanks for the effort. And the show seems to be hitting its stride. Hey, thanks, Bob. Thank you very much. (laughs) It does take a lot of work, but we do it. It's a labor of love. We we have a blast doing it, and it's awesome just to know that you all are out there having a good time with us because that's what what keeps us going. Right, exactly.
1: So anybody else, feel free. (laughs) Fill our mailbag. (laughs) Yeah, keep those emails coming. We're loving reading them, and obviously – Letting other listeners get to hear what other listeners have to say.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So just a couple housekeeping notes before we we put a lid on this one. We've run a little long today, uh, but (laughs) when has that ever not been the case with us? (laughs) Um, So I wanted to remind people about the Frapper map that's available on our website. So we'd love to, I know there's more than 20 people out there listening to us. We've kind of plateaued at 20. So there's a link on all the the different episodes where you can click on that and it'll take you to Frapper and you can put a little push pin on the map. And it's just kind of fun to see where everybody is that's listening to us. So remember that's there. And and if you want, put a little pin in there and and let us know that you're out there listening. Um, And last but not least, we're going to try and experiment with this podcast and I'm going to offer a third feed with a mono version of the podcast, which will be a smaller file size. It's just an experiment. I've, we've had a couple people complain about the file sizes being large. I don't think they're actually. I think they're pretty manageable for the sound quality right. level. But just judging, you know, you can vote with your your clicks and your subscriptions. And if we see enough people doing the the, the mono, mono and downloading it, then I'm happy to do it. But you know, it does take a lot of work to do this. And and if I can get away with just doing two versions of it, then so much the better. But if If people want the mono, then I'm happy to to do the mono as well. But, um, (laughs) again, thanks for listening. We Yes, thank you very much. (laughs) We love that you guys are enjoying it because we enjoy bringing the spiel to you every other week. And um, without further ado, this will be the end of Episode 16. So remember, whether it's the roll of a
1: die, the turn of a card, or the flip of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You just just have to to play. play.